Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Welcome to the show, my friends. This week, we have a return guest, a fan favorite, really, my sweet sister, Sparrow, from Los Angeles. She's back on the show to tell her redemption story. You may remember her from an earlier season when she told us about her first birth, when she transferred herself. She had felt confident in the transfer, thinking that she could just go to the hospital as a seasoned birth worker and get a catheter to empty her bladder. Instead, She was wrongfully diagnosed with HIV and forced into a C-section. It's a brutal story, and so I'm especially thrilled to have her back on today sharing a new story. Sparrow tells us about her new love, her beautiful family, her sovereign birth, and her much-deserved blissful postpartum. Before we get going, I want to announce that the very membership you're going to be hearing Sparrow reference in this episode where she found her RBK, yes, the Free Birth Society membership, is opening doors for new members for the last time this year. And we're doing it at 40% off the normal annual price. If you join now, you'll lock in this sale price for life. So here's what you need to know. This is the online gathering space for women that love this podcast, that are interested in sovereign birth, that are or want to be radical birth workers, and let's just say if you identify as a wild mother. If you are holistically minded, interested in untangling yourself and your family from the medical paradigm and resonate with our work, you belong with us. We are the lighthouse and we are calling you home. Come find your place among our sisterhood, where through conscious community, we're healing the fractures of our sister wounds. We rally together as mothers and access the women's wisdom that belongs to us. But really what I'm saying is if you're a mom or a mom-to-be and you're asking Google what contractions feel like or what to do with your feverish baby, you can just do so much better than that. Ask the mothers themselves. That's what this group is all about. We're here for you. We're here for the first time your baby falls off the bed, gets a fever or a rash. If you are a mother that wants to live a holistic lifestyle, then surround yourself with women who already do. Gates are open for a very short time. So jump on in at freebirthsociety.com membership and get a locked in annual price that is 40% off. All right, it's a big month at Free Birth Society. We have more coming your way, but for now, please enjoy this super sweet episode. All right. 
right. We have today a very special woman to me who has been on the podcast before. I don't remember which season, but we will put it in the show notes. So for season four. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I have my friend from California, Sparrow on. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And she recently free birthed her second child. So obviously I had to have her on to tell that story because those of you who will remember, and she'll give a quick overview here. um, She had a insane, insane, oh, oh, go of it with her first. Um, And like I said, I'll put the link in the show notes to listen because there's a lot of wisdom in that episode. It's really worth going back and visiting after you've heard this one. Um, But yeah, let's just pass it to you, Sparrow. Like, what do you want to say to help orient new listeners um, to your future story or your story that's coming up? And also, I just want to put my excitement into the episode because you and I Marcoed after your birth and I got like a little bit of it. But this is actually my first time as your friend and someone who loves you so much getting to actually hear the whole story and and also you leaving MRF last year and then just immediately (laughs) (laughs) you you had just found this amazing man and then you left MRF and you are living proof that when you leave the festival in that high vibe you're either going to get pregnant or you're going to start a business or some big shift will happen so well yes and and I met him right after I was floating off the high of finishing the blood mystery school Mm. and and that was also just such a high vibration and then yeah (laughs) matriarch was yes so um yeah let me just get everybody oriented and it is it is interesting i feel like this um my most recent pregnancy i really got to reflect so much more on my first go of it and i'm just going to give everybody the cliff notes version of it but it was so um just kind of tragic in so many ways. And it's not anymore, you know, and that's why I'm so grateful to be here to be able to tell a very different story. And, um, but I I also, I grieved a lot during my most recent pregnancy about my first pregnancy in layers that I couldn't even access because I was just so much in survival mode. Um, And so the Cliff Notes version of my first story is that I had planned um, a free birth and could not release my bladder, which I did way after the fact, way after my birth, um, find a way to release your bladder at home, which I shared in my last interview. If anybody wants to go back and tuck that in your toolkit, um, I wish I had had that in my story, but I I couldn't release my bladder. Um, So yes, my baby couldn't, couldn't, get past that. And, um, I thought being a birth worker and having all this knowledge and going in with, you know, um, a good friend who was also knowledgeable of the system that I could go into the hospital and get a very simple catheter and leave and go home. And I was, um, I had been trying at home for about two days and it was just really getting tiring, but I was not mentally or spiritually exhausted. I wasn't giving up in any way. I really went in thinking that I can get this little tiny bit of help, sign out against medical advice if I needed to, and just go home and finish my journey. Um, But instead, I was thrown just this insane curveball that I could have never guessed. And um, both me and my baby were misdiagnosed as HIV positive. 
and I ended up with a completely unnecessary C-section mm -hmm. after three and a half days of labor. And when I was wheeled out of the operating room, I was met with 11 people just waiting for me and like three social workers who harassed me for the following two days would not allow me to breastfeed my brand new baby. And, um, you know, just why did it take two days to get definitive test results? Um, I don't know. It was a nightmare. Um, it was so stressful. I was using every ounce of my energy to try and protect my, you know, two hour old baby that they wanted to inject with, <laughs> um, you know, really crazy. Yeah, really, really crazy HIV medication without having definitive test results. And every time I brought that up, I was like, why would I? I, I was just, you know, I was even trying to play ball with them a little bit as if I would ever consider doing that. But I was just like, how can I possibly make an informed decision when we don't have definitive test results? Where are my test results? It took two days. Everything came back negative. Me and my baby are completely healthy. And they walk in and they're like, <laughs> so your test results came back. Everything's fine. You don't have HIV. And would you like to go home? And I'm like, I'm sure they wanted me to get the F out of there. And at that point, I just like, I, I burst into tears because I had been holding so much and having to defend so much. Um, and uh, anyways, went home and healed physically really well. Uh, mentally, I had uh, postpartum anxiety pretty bad for about eight months. And um and so that's the Cliff Notes version of my first go around. What I didn't share in the first story that I think needs to be told today is that uh, the other layer of what was going on emotionally in my life was that I was abandoned by my ex-husband at 11 weeks pregnant. Um, and even that abandonment wasn't it wasn't even like completely solid. So I think for a lot of my pregnancy, I kept thinking that things would potentially work out and he left the country for two weeks and then has never come back, has never met our son. <laughs> like, like still to this day, like to this day, he left on the, I, on the, the, the agreement that he was going to just go wrap some stuff up or work or something. Yes. So it was very hard for me to try and navigate you know, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And you knew you were pregnant when he left? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, so that whole pregnancy yeah. was marked by, like... And it was a planned pregnancy. It wasn't right. an... It was not an accidental... Oh, you know. I mean, that's the other piece I feel like is probably worth, yeah, bringing up right now, which is around the not being able to release the bladder. Like, everything's connected, right? And, yes. And I want women who are new to the idea of, of birth and, and, you know, um, being at home and all of this that like, well, it is my belief that the, that nothing is like random and there is that layer. I'm not saying one created the other. It's not that black and white, obviously, but you know, I, I guess I'm not quite sure the words here. Like, what do you make of that? Let me put it back to you. Like, what do you make of this huge heartache and reality that he's not there? He's at, you know, you're about to become a mother. He's not there. And that's interesting that also this like physical manifestation yes. gets presented. There's two things that I want to say about that. Number one is that um, most of 
most of what I know now, I didn't realize until my most recent pregnancy, how much it affected me, how much it derailed my, you know, inner stability and all of that. Um, and just how much your um, emotional kind of matrix matters when you're moving into pregnancy and motherhood. Like I, I didn't know how much it could physically affect me, even though I'm a body worker and even though I would probably say that to somebody else, I don't think that I really understood that until um, I was in a space where I was safe enough to really kind of grieve and to look at that from all different angles, but your emotions, um, your support, like they matter so much. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing that I wanted to share is that in one of one of the few sessions that I um, did to prepare for my most recent birth, um, I worked with one of my mentors who's a craniosacral therapist and she's like beyond like she's just a witch. I don't know what else to call her. She's amazing. And she didn't know like the details of my whole story, but she was kind of scanning through my whole body, trying to figure out, you know, if, if there's anything that my, my body physically needed before I was going to um, have my next birth. And she said, um, she's like, okay, there's some, some remnants of something going on on the left side of your pelvic floor. And she's like, let me trace this back. When did this start? And she's going back and she's like, it was in your first trimester. She's like, I think it was like around week 11. And I'm like, <laughs> which is exactly when I was left, you know? And I was just like, I never told her that piece of it. So she said, yeah, when that happened, she's like, your pelvic floor twisted. She's like, and that's what was going on with your bladder by the time you were, you know, in your birthing process. And I was just like, mm-hmm. You know, it, she said you were absolutely shocked by that. It was a, it was a, and I, and I was, you know, yeah. um, and it makes sense that there would be a correlation around like not releasing into the next phase, you know, into motherhood, yeah. like a bit of trauma, shock, um, holding. Yes. Given the context of your birth. Mm hmm. Ugh. But also the other thing to just bring around here is the hospital sucks and is not a safe place. No. Period. And your story is so wild. And also, I mean, I hate hearing it. I hate knowing that you went through that. And everyone gets drug tested when they come into the hospital and, and they're not told that. And I'm not saying that drugs, like nothing came up for you, obviously, but yeah. my point is like they're running tests on mothers and here's Sparrow, a single mom, her partner isn't with her coming into an LA hospital and it, like you're, you're nameless and faceless. You're just a statistic. Mm -hmm. You're just a, a blood panel, you know, and the amount yeah. of error and accident that occurs within the system because of the lack of real human to human care is unacceptable. And you are, you know, unfortunately your first story is like, I hope a very sobering wake up call to, to any of us who think, yeah, just know your rights. Just, yeah. You know, like all that dual of rhetoric, that's complete bullshit. Yeah. 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 And thank you for saying that because I, I, I feel the exact same way. Like I would never, like maybe if I get hit by a bus, you know, and you know, like, okay, maybe take me there. Like then. But, yes. That's what they're, they're good at trauma. Right. They're good at, they're good at trauma, I guess. I guess. And even then they're still bad at it. 
There, and I was going to say, <laughs> so then, you know, so terrible. What I, I talked to my dad about it, you know, and we kind of both came up with this thing of like, yeah, they'll help you if they don't kill you first. Right. And that's, you know, as, as awful as that sounds, that's really how I feel at mm-hmm. this point. So I'm glad that you were clarifying that for anyone who's listening, because it can be easy to think like, oh, I can just rely on them as a backup or, you know, leave or sign myself out. And it's just like, just don't go there, you know, especially in your deepest moment of vulnerability and, you know, how our births unfold, like really shape us. And yeah, I'm so happy that I have a different story to share. Well, I guess that kind of begs the question, like if you could rewrite that first birth, given your bladder, you know, doing what it was doing, like, what what do you think what would have or could have been, been different i think that i would have um reached out to and this is this is assuming that i didn't know the bladder releasing mm-hmm. technique that i know now i i think that i would have reached out to midwives yeah. to say can you come give me a catheter at home and just never ever ever have left my home mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that would have been like the next best thing that i could have right yeah it makes sense to me that that would be if your if your goal is to artificially release your bladder. Yeah, it makes sense to me that you would, especially you being connected in the LA world, you know, trying to get a medical midwife over there to do it. Um, and it's so painful that that the really like it was the belief, it was the the false confidence, the the belief yes. that you could like navigate it. Mm-hmm. that knocked your ass upside down yeah which could be anyone you know like that's mm-hmm. that's a point i just really want to get across here because it is so random and it is so it's so like non specific like it's so random that that happened yeah and you are an educated woman who knows how to speak who understands the system who's been to hospital births like you're the yeah. theoretically unless you understand how truly nefarious the system is yeah. It's easy to make up like, oh, I'll just like work it. Yeah. <sighs> okay. But we are here in celebration because that yes. is over. Yes. Lessons learned. And, you know, your episode has gone on to help many, many, many free birthers release their bladders at home, which is yeah. so cool. That's and so, so cool. cool. I've gotten a lot of messages from women too, which is, it, it, it really helped my healing so thank you so much for just having this avenue with you to be able to share that really, really hard learned lesson with others. So then what happened, Sparrow? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then I, I, I meet this, you know, wonderful man who, um, like, right off the bat was just on board with everything <laughs> that I needed and wanted, you know, for my life. Um, and how old is your son when you meet this one? He was uh, two and a half. Like okay. we, and we got pregnant like right away. So um, yeah. So, so my older son, Nisio is two and a half. Um, yeah we meet and it's before we even went on our first date. Cause we met online. So we were just talking and it, I mean, we're already, he's already picking my brain about babies and what I want. And he knows he, you know, I had told him my, my first story and just, he was just intrigued, you know, 
about it. And um, anyways, long story short, we, we just fell like so deeply in love. And that was even something that, you know, I, there was of course a period of time where I was like, I don't even know if this will happen for me, you know, in my, in my late thirties. And, you know, not that that means anything, but you know, we, there's these stories, right. That will I meet somebody with a kid? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm a single mom, you know, will this happen for me? Um, Yeah. You don't know. And, and I was also like, can I get to a place where I could be okay, you know, with only having my one. And I, I did feel like I could kind of, it was, it was some work, but I felt like I could get there. But my biggest dream for myself, like where I could really see like my joy coming through was being able to completely rewrite this story and to have a partner and a loving, you know, father um, for my children. And, and that's, that's what happened. So um, yeah, so he was on board from, from day one. Uh, I go to matriarch, we come back, we decide like, okay, we'll just open this door and see what happens. We get pregnant immediately. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say necessarily about the pregnancy other than like, I felt so deeply seen and loved that it almost felt like it was enough for the current pregnancy and the past pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was really everything that my soul really didn't even know that it needed to that degree. So yeah, just a lot of a lot of um, happiness, a lot of safety, a lot of contentment uh, moving through that whole pregnancy. Um, and I was definitely open to free birthing, but I was also really open to having, you know, a wise woman with me. And I ended up connecting with um, a woman who's part of the membership, Maida, who's um, Brazilian, and I've had a, a longstanding. Uh, love affair with Brazil since I was about 19. I've danced in many, many Brazilian dance companies in Los Angeles and I speak Portuguese and I just have an affinity. So I just, I I met Maida at um, a party of a mutual friend and she brought three of her um, four children and they were all speaking Portuguese and like Nisio was there and, 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 and Nisio speaks Portuguese too. So he was like, look at all these, you know, sweet boys and, and anyways, long story short is that like she she was my she was present at the birth along with Keon, my partner, and um she just really became just such a sister friend, just perfect fit for my healing journey. And I just loved her so much. I love her still so much. Um and I just had a really good time building a relationship with her over the months of my pregnancy. And you know, she just was what I needed. She, she really listened to me. She would always just ask me like when we would meet up, what do you want to do? You know, what do you, what do you feel like you need today? And sometimes that was body work. And sometimes that was talking about like, and kind of honing in a little bit more on my nutrition and, you know, just whatever it was, it was just always fun and it was always tailored to whatever I needed. And, uh, I remember getting towards the end of my pregnancy. I think it was maybe like around 34 weeks, something like that. I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like going to be blindsided in any way. And so I kind of had this conversation with her of like, I want to know, like, what exactly do you bring to births? Like what's in your birth bag? Like just in case there was something that like didn't resonate with me. And she was like, let's go through my stuff, you know? So we literally put everything from her bags out and we just like looked at everything 
and we talked about everything and she like medical not really like I think I think that before before she had heard about before she listened to um Sister Morningstar's um you know first breaths episode I think she had a bag and mask uh, in her bag that she had never used and after that she took it out and so that like wasn't even no, so no, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot. There was like a rebozo and there was like this amazing birth stool that came apart that she could screw together. There was, um, you know, hot water bottles and just like stuff, homeopathic stuff, like nothing, nothing that I didn't feel like I wanted in my space, but she was like, let's make sure, like, let's go through this together and let's make sure. Um, does she, yeah. does she identify as a midwife? Like, does she use that word? Does she, 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 I think she has had a couple iterations throughout, you know, her years, but I think at this point she calls herself an authentic birth attendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and, you know, she and I, just had so much in common and being in LA and the the characters and the rise of trying to figure out, do I want to be a midwife? Because that was, you know, that's how you and I met. That's where I thought I was going to go at some point and (laughs) backtrack that train for sure. And so that's um, true. We did meet because I was going to take your place. That's right. Medical midwifery schools. Mm -hmm. Because I was done. And then we were both like, how about no? And let's just be really good friends. Yes. Yes. And yeah, and I just remember because I didn't even know you and you were like willing to take my place. I was like, who is this angel girl? Like, who does this? Like, I don't even know. No, and I'm glad you didn't. But but you (laughs) offered like that. Just even that openness, you know, was so. um, Yes, it was just amazing. So that's how we met. Um, And where was I going with that story? Oh, just just that we are connected so well. Yeah. And I I think that, I think that that was a turning point for me of like really fully trusting that this woman could and would show up for me in the way that I really needed, you know, and like her, her level of commitment to service to women was really palpable for me. And, and she knew what was at stake for me. And we had talked through so many things and I I cried so much in this pregnancy. Just, I was just like watery and soft. And she's like, this is good. She's like, this is really good. You know, um, three years of serious survival. I got this, you know, persona in the, in the seat. Yeah. So I just remember her, like after we went through her, you know, all of the stuff in her bag and she just kind of sat at my feet and she just said, I will be there. You know, if you want me there, if you will have me there, she's like, I will be there. And like the, the deepest capacity to serve you. She's like, you can, you can call me, you cannot call me. She's like, you can call me and have me sit on the couch. You can, she's like, however you need me to best serve you, I will be there. And I, and it was great. Anything less than that is completely unacceptable. Yes. It's just not even like appropriate to be anything other than I'll be there however you need. Yeah. I I, I saw a doctor one time tell my, tell my doula client um, who wanted to like get into a hands and knees or something. He said, well, I don't bend. Oh God. (laughs) It's not funny. It's not funny. It's 
versus like a woman at your feet being like, however you need me, I'm here in service of your beautiful dream birth. It's like, yes, that is all that is, is acceptable in my opinion. And women listening, you know, if anyone is doing anything less than that, fire them. Yes. Yeah. And then she gave me a foot bath and we just hung (laughs) out and talked for like two more hours and it was wonderful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she was. Yeah. Anything else to say about your pregnancy and the work of your pregnancy and heading into, uh, you know, a birth, a vag, you know, your first vaginal birth, but still outside the system. And obviously you know this, but you know, plenty of women want to VBACs, but almost none, you know, a very few amount choose to claim that outside of the very system that abused them, Yeah, you know, part of sharing these, you know, feedback stories outside of the system is for women to know you don't have to return to your abusive systems. Like, look at this story. Look at this story. Babies come out. There's nothing in the system for you. Um, So yeah. What other like work might be happening? I'm really glad that you asked this question because yeah, it is so important because I was not like fearless going into this at all. And I also just want to say too, that I specifically scoured your podcast for stories of women having, you know, free birth at home. And of course there were so many wonderful stories, but I think because we're so wired to learn from each other and to know that, Oh, this woman came before me and she did it so I can do it. You know, specifically hearing the stories of Ita and Ariel, because those are women that I know in real life, like their stories just were like bombs for me, bombs for my soul. And, um, and yeah, and that's really, I think why, you know, I was also so excited to share this story because I want there to be at least one, one more out there for women to know that, yeah. But but yeah, leading into my birth, I definitely had this really weird uh doubt of like is this baby really going to come out of my yoni? Like really, you know? Because it's such a strange thing to feel like I have I had done most of labor. You know, and even like I was in labor for three and a half days. I got to quote unquote 10 centimeters before everything got derailed. Like I had done the majority of the, of the experience and not actually had the passage of a baby through my body. So it was really weird trying to navigate that in my pregnancy of like, is this really going to happen? And I remember after it did happen, I was able to just like viscerally almost go back in time to the moment that I was laboring with Nisio and just be like, I can see how it would have happened if I had been in a different circumstance. Um, So, so yes, I had, I had fear. I had doubt. um, I had a lot of healing to do during my pregnancy and I really took the time to do it. You know, I really treated the pregnancy as um, like, I knew that this, I knew that being able to be here and tell this story that I'm telling now um, and, and how it unfolded, that this was going to be key to how I was going to feel about myself and about motherhood. And I just knew the stakes were really high. So I did everything that I could, you know, like I got, I got a lot of self care and, you know, for those of you who, who don't know, like I am a prenatal massage therapist. I own a wellness center specifically that works with women. So I literally just went to all of the therapists that I've trained and work with and love and they helped me. So it was like, you know, I, I have a lot of 
I had a lot of access to the care. So like, I'm not going to not do it. Um, and then I also, you know, I did some, some work with my, with my mentor. I did some, um, EFT tapping sessions with one of the other women that I work with. Um, it's the emotional freedom technique. And that was really powerful and kind of, I was, I had a whole conversation with my, um, like first trimester self for my first pregnancy of just like, if I could have told myself what I know now in that moment, how would that have felt to receive that? And it was really powerful, really healing for me. There's a lot of things that were really healing. I talked to Nancy and I talked to Kristen because I had just come out of blood mystery school and, you know, I just loved them so much. And Nancy really helped me find the gems that I could take from my first experience to carry with me into my new experience. Um, Kristen really helped me, um, just really realize that my emotions were strong enough to impact my birth. And even just that realization was really powerful for me. So yeah, I did a lot of things. Um, and not to say that you needed anyone else would need to do those things, but because I had access and because I had these relationships already intact, you know, um, and because I was in a place financially where I could do those things, I was like, why would I not do that? You know, it well, felt that that's what's interesting about this because I mean the potential if you hadn't have done that the potential would be arguably higher that you would have unconsciously self-sabotaged right like that's yeah. the reason to do it is yeah that's the reason to cleanse yeah. and to do the work because of course if if someone can just like shut up and get out of their own way a baby's definitely going to come out, right? <laughs> yeah. That's like obvious. That's what we know, except it's a really tall order to shut up and get out of your own way, especially yeah. with trauma. And when you have a primary surgical birth and when you have the doubt and the fear that is groomed into us our entire lives, that's a yeah. tall order. It is. So, yeah. I mean, of course, no one needs to do it because from a biological perspective, a baby will come out of you. But also, I would say at the same time, everyone needs to do it because the likelihood that you'll self-sabotage is is even higher without the work. Yeah. And I didn't have and I didn't have this like easy breezy birth. So I am so glad that I did the work ahead of time because I, I feel like the 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 most difficult part of my birth was what was going on in my mind. Uh Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe that's true for everybody, but you know, yeah. And maybe I can segue into, into the actual birth because, um, yeah. Do you feel, yeah. Do you feel complete? Yeah, I think so. Did you have any other questions? You asked such great questions. Um, <laughs> hey, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I think it, yeah. You say whatever you want to say that leads you into the start of your birth. I had a softness about me emotionally going into my birthing period, but I had some rigidity in my mental state. And it's weird that both of those things were true for me, but like my body was just really soft. Like I would cry easily. I was just, you know, I was flowing through my emotions, but then I was also I had some rigidity and, and stupid things. Like I thought my baby was going to be an Aries. I thought I was going to be like stupid things. Just, like, who cares? Like who cares? Um, this is like, your aspect control 
Yes. And, and let me tell you, like it got knocked out of me real quick in my birth story. And I'll, I'll get into that. Um, because it wasn't even like, I wasn't even that conscious that I was doing it. I was kind of like, Oh, I'm pretty sure, you know, but even in that like sureness, I was kind of like, right. Like I'm going (laughs) to. So, um, so yeah. And, and I, I was for sure I was going to go past 40 weeks. Like in my first birth, my water broke at 41 and two. And then he was in my arms at 41 and six, three and a half days of labor. And so I was not expecting to give birth at 39 and one, which is what happened. And, um, and I probably could have been because the whole week before I was having signs that I was getting like, like my mucus plug started coming out. That never happened the first time. And and I should also say too, that I was, I was praying that my, the start of my labor would look differently than the start of my first labor, because I just felt like if it was going to start the same, that it might mentally throw me off. Um, and it, it started pretty much exactly the same. So it was, I had, I had some work to do there. I had some shit I had to work through. Um, but leading up to it, uh, I was losing my mucus plug on starting on Thursday. Baby was born on Sunday. So, you know, I could tell like my body's softening. It's doing all this stuff, but I'm still like, no, I'm still like a week and a half, two and a half weeks away. Like, you know, all this arbitrary story that I'm telling myself. Um, and then, let me see. Keon's last day of work was Friday. Like, and then, and I thought we were going to have at least a week to just be together and he was going to have 12 weeks off. It was this awesome scenario. I was like, we can have like one of those to just, you know, do whatever we wanted. Um, and then, yeah, like Sunday comes around and, um, my water just pops. What were you doing when it happened? Um, I was walking to the bathroom, which is exactly ha- what happened the first time. Okay. And it's so weird because you know that water's opening is not necessarily like a super common way for labors to start, but it did. And it wasn't like a, the huge gush, you know, it wasn't a full opening. It was just a small pop baby gush. And then it was just like a trickle and it was exactly the same start. Yeah. a rewrite we're rewriting (laughs) oh my gosh so So did it freak you out was it like bad or like did it take a second how how did that land for you it took me it took me it's so weird it took me a minute to like first I felt like a lot of anxiety boiling up and then I dropped myself right into denial it was just like and then right into nah this isn't happening so so my water popped there was just a teeny tiny bit of mech that also kind of freaked me out, mm-hmm. even though I, you know, I know. And it was like barely anything. It was very light. It was, it was just like a tinge, just a tiny tinge, but I could feel my anxiety shoot up. And then I was just like, it's going to be fine. This baby's not going to come for another few days. Anyways, there goes the denial. <laughs> okay. Make up. <laughs> huh? That's such a funny thing to make up. Oh my god! Well, but we do it in any direction. Like, yeah. either, either women are like the baby's coming today, and it's actually in five days, or yeah. it, 
the baby's coming in five days and it's today. <laughs> so that was my story. And then, so we just, we just decided to all go on a family walk. And now, like, I put on one of those, um, you know, postpartum underwear sets to just catch all the water that was starting to leak out of me. And we go on this walk and I'm, I really did enjoy it. And it was just really sweet to see like Nisio like running and, um, you know, Kian and playing and, you know, it was just like a really sweet walk. And then for some reason, I was just like, hmm, I was like, maybe I'll do some curb walking. Also not thinking that I'm going to have a baby for another few days, which I would not do that again for anybody who's listening. Walking. Where you put one foot on the sidewalk and one foot off the curb. So you're doing Why? this. Why? Because it it's, helps the baby, helps the baby oh, get down. <laughs> I know. I would not do that again, Emily. That's very doula of you. It was. It <laughs> was. But this is, this is, I'm just telling you, like, if I had just surrendered, everything would have unfolded for me with a little bit more ease, you know? Yeah, like, that's like, that's like our life's lesson. Yeah, right. So I don't know why, I don't really know why I did that. It kind of felt fun for the moment. And then. Well, it feels fun to do something. Yeah. That's what it is, right? We're doers. And, 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 and I'm only critiquing this because I'm the exact same way. And I so feel you. There's a, like, (laughs) there's a, there's still like layers for, for us. I think for most women, you know, even in the free birth world to like really understand through a lived experience that there's nothing to do and that is where you meet surrender and that takes a lot of effort for people who live all up in our heads and are control freaks which is pretty much everyone yeah yeah and it's isn't it also hilarious that I'm like oh yeah I'm this baby is not going to come for another few days but I'm just going to do this thing to help quote I'm making air quotes for anybody who's listening on on just the podcast yeah so it was just I was I was in it I was really working through some stuff mentally there but I get back from the walk and I also had um a reflexology session uh on the books we got back from the walk like at like 3 30 I had a, a session booked at like four and I had earlier in the day I was like do you think would you be open to making this a house call because I'm just not sure <laughs> My water's open. (laughs) Just not sure what's going to happen. So she shows up at four o'clock and right before she gets there, I kind of start to, I kind of start to get that. um, I'm probably in labor. Oh no, sorry. Before she gets there. Yes. Let me back this up. Before she gets there, I take a shower after the walk and probably because baby was so wedged in there from all that stupid curb walking that I just did, I wasn't feeling him move. And it was kind of, that was also, I, I remember having this moment of just like, you know, starting to create a story of like, why isn't my baby moving? I didn't feel any movements at all. I started like jiggling my belly. I started talking to the baby. I'm like, hey, can you give me something here? nothing right mm-hmm. and then I'm start to create the story of like okay great you know my first birth is derailed this way now this baby's dead like you know great this is this is how this is gonna go oh and God. then I just took a breath yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I put my hand on my heart and I just kind of checked in and I was just like I feel zero sadness it was just a it was just a script running in my head and I was just like I feel zero sadness 
I was like, I don't feel like this is actually what's going on. But it's, I think that that was a serious reality check for me of like, who the fuck cares what astrology sign your baby is? Who cares if you're going to birth at 39 weeks? Who cares? I was just like, get on board, Sparrow, right now. Like, Mm -hmm. that was my reality check. And so when I got out of that shower, I was just like, baby, I was like, you can do whatever you need to do as long as you are safe and you are coming to us because we love you and we want you. And, you know, I didn't want to freak out my partner, but I, but I was also like, just being real with him. I was like, you know, I took a shower. I didn't feel a whole lot of movements, you know, for the first time. And I was like, can you just talk to the baby and see if you can get a response? And so he, you know, he had this whole thing that he would do throughout the pregnancy. And he was like, you know, baby, this is daddy, (laughs) you know, over, like, I need you to (laughs) please give us a kick. Let us know that you're good. And and it didn't happen right away. And he kind of went to different spots, but he was really like sweet. And, really and the playful. baby's like, I'm trying to sleep before <laughs> I make the biggest move of my life. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys. I know. So, but I get a little napping before birth. Probably. And because I probably wedged him in there, he's like, it's really hard to move now. I was like, my, the I water I was in I is not. I believe that your curb walking did anything. Well, I really do. I'm open. I'm open to that as well. Well, just because like the baby in the birth process is like more powerful than that. Yes, it's true. And you've been wiggling around your pelvis the whole time, you know? Anyway. Yeah. So, but luckily, Kian was not, he was not tripping. scared. Yeah. He was not scared. He was not tripping. He was just super sweet. He just did exactly what I wanted. He made me laugh. Good. And then the baby went bang and like gave one big kick that was like totally undeniable both of us felt it and we're like I was like okay now I'm on board with this like now I understand like what's going on then I had this reflexology session that I barely made it through by the way because she got there um at four o'clock and the waves just started hitting me and it was like they took all of my attention and all of my, like I had to breathe through them like as soon as they started. So she's, she's working on my feet and she, and she's lovely and I know her really well. <clears throat> but she's just like, these are coming like every two minutes from the start. Like that was like right when I was like, okay, this is happening. And it was just it took everything from me. And then by the time that she was done, which I was like, I could barely get through it, like barely even sit through it. Um, I called Maida and I was just like, okay, this is, it's on like head over, you know, when I was like, I think I asked her to be there by like in like an hour and a half or something like that. I was just like, and she was, by the time she got there, I was in, I was full body trembling through all of the really, really powerful waves that were coming. And they were, um, yeah, they were pretty much like, it was pretty much like about four and a half hours. Cause the first little bit I could, it took like all of my energy, but I could still kind of breathe through them. But like the last like four and a half hours out of my six hour birth, I was uncontrollably like purple pushing through every contraction. Like it was like my, and my body was just 
cranking up and then I would just that's what I sounded like through every contraction and I could not I was trying to catch my breath some some of the times I could in the beginning and then like for the last like maybe like three hours of the labor like I could I was not breathing through like the first part of my contraction and then I would catch my breath and then just really try and breathe through it it was so intense um it was yeah I (laughs) excuse me what was happening on the inside what was happening in Sparrow's mind in in my mind I was also telling myself the story that this was going to go on for days or at least 24 hours or something like I had, you know, when you have a three and a half day birth, I'm sure it's like you, right? We have similar stories. When you have a three and a half day birth, and then you end up with a six hour birth. I had no idea that my body could do that in that amount of time. So I mean, the only thought I had was I had never seen someone who had had a multi day birth, have a multi day second birth. Yeah, that's Yeah. You know what I mean? That was the only thing I kept like, because I had a six hour birth too, coming back to is I was like, okay, I need a reality check here. Like nobody who's doing what I'm doing does this for three days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's really hard to access those little pieces of logic. (laughs) It really was. You just, yeah, I was, I was wrestling with a little bit of self-pity for Mm -hmm. part of that yeah and it didn't help too that like the entire like the entire labor also felt like it was in my back and in my ass like it was so uncomfortable it was so powerful and it was just so on top of me like I feel like I could have (laughs) if it could have just given me a little bit more time to breathe you know in between it could have just calmed down a little bit yeah I mean we're going for ecstatic blissful birth with our thirds okay I really think it's I really think that I could we can pull that off I really do we have to we have to <laughs> apparently it's just a choice Yolanda said there's just a door hidden somewhere in there that you can choose oh my to- gosh all right well I'm gonna be looking for that door let me I tell you next time I forgot I didn't even know to look for it last time yeah oh my okay God. so it's just fucking insane it's on tumpy on top of you the word i used with mine which i think you agreed with was like being pummeled it was just like oh yeah no space to find my center i was just like yeah 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 i there was a point where what i described which now i know is transition like i i got in the shower and in the shower, I felt like a wet cat that just wanted to crawl up the walls of the shower. I'm just like, I wanted out of my skin for a minute. And I was just like, and then I was just like, okay, something's got to shift here and it's got to be internally with me. And at that moment when I was in the shower, first of all, Kion and Maeda were amazing. Like they were just, they didn't pity me. They were just both super grounded. They were both so sweet. You know, I I was a little bit upset that like, I couldn't like, I tried at one point to kind of like wrap my arms around Keon and like kiss him and kind of have like a sway little moment. And then another one would come in. I just like buckled, you know, and, and he was so available for that, but I just, it just was not, it was just not happening. 
So I'm in, that, I'm that in the shower. When you were on the walk. <laughs> that yeah. Was, that was when you could have done it. I was still in denial then. So <laughs> that was on me. So I'm in the shower. They're sitting there and they're, you know, they're just witnessing me um, without any other kind of like pity. They weren't like giving me like annoying kind of, you know, pep talks. And, and I didn't really feel like I needed that either. Where's so Nisio was there for like the first like hour, like two and a half hours of my birth. He was there from four to six thirty, and then my mom came and got him. It was so intense. I I would have liked for him to maybe have been there, but once I realized what I was dealing with and what I sounded like, I was just like, it. I think it would have scared him. So, so my mom took him. She, wonder, she sorry, I was just gonna say it wasn't for me. It wasn't just about that I was going to scare her. It was also that like managing her energy was a no. Like, yes. like I couldn't handle thinking about anyone else's energy in the space, yeah. which I wouldn't be able to get out of with my child. Was that similar? Yeah. Yes, it was similar. So my mom lives three minutes away from where we <laughs> we've moved since then but um so she took him and he spent the night there and then ended up coming like getting woken up and coming back to meet the baby later that night um but yeah so it was just Kiana Maeda and and so I'm in the shower I'm wanting to crawl out of my skin I'm looking at them and I just asked them I said I I need I need some time by myself I said can both of you leave and I'll just call you back in when I'm ready you know and they they were like absolutely and they both walked out and I just had some privacy and I was just like okay like you, I just really told myself I was like you need to recommit to this mm. because like there was never a moment like I was suffering through a lot but there was never a moment that I was like oh I want to be saved or like I was ever even tempted in any way to do anything other than what I was doing I was like I'm either gonna do this or I'm gonna die well, those are the two options essentially and I didn't actually ever feel like I was gonna die it was just kind of uh those are that's what's on the table for you so and I was just like let me just recommit to this I was just like I was toying with whether or not I wanted to check myself and just feel if they were, if I could feel anything because I was so scared of like if I don't feel anything is that gonna like wreck me and so I kind of got right with myself first and I was like look your body is working really hard. Like your body is doing something super powerful. If you want to check yourself, go ahead. But I, I was like, is it going to wreck you if you don't feel anything? And I decided, no, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because eventually something will be there and there will be a baby. So I'm in the shower and I, and I do check myself and I'm like, okay, I can feel ahead. And that was really, thank God. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I had kind of talked myself through the possibility of what, what are you going to feel if you don't feel anything? Um, but I reached in and I was like, I do feel ahead. And it was, you know, in like, there was probably like four centimeters. Like it wasn't anything like crazy. But also, I'm really happy to share the story because like it doesn't, the way that my birth unfolded, like the baby was out like less than 40 minutes later. But, you know, I didn't know that. And, and based on what I was feeling, I was like, okay, I, I made up another story, but it was fine. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for four more hours. You can do this at this intensity. <laughs> <laughs> specific, 
for four more hours. And I was like, but I got this, I just got this like renewed sense of like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in this, I'm committed to this and I'm going to do this. Then my hot water ran out and I was just like, fuck, okay, I can still do this. But I, I had gotten, just gotten in such a good zone. Recommit again. So I get out of the shower and I didn't really consciously do this, but I only called Keon back into the room. I didn't call Maida. And I, I asked Keon, I was like, he had these like real squishy, foamy workout mats. I said, can you put one here on the bathroom floor for me? And he brought it in and then I got hit with another one. I just dropped to my knees and I'm laboring there. And he, he just stayed in there with me. He was kind of behind me. Um, I'm on hands and knees. And then I don't think I could have been there. I don't think I could have been there longer than like 15 minutes. And I just felt a head just fall onto my pelvic floor. It almost like it didn't, I didn't hear a pop or like, necessarily feel a pop but it was almost like something popped open and a baby dropped onto my pelvic floor and I was just like holy shit like so so what I'm going to describe from the time that I felt my baby drop onto my pelvic floor to the time that he was outside my body was less than a minute it was insanely fast so what I'm going to kind of talk through is like all happening in just seconds right so I feel his head drop onto my pelvic floor thinking that I was still hours away and my first thought was no way no way this is happening right now and then my second thought was holla fucking luya this is happening it felt so good like it was the only little bit of relief that I got and then like the second that his head was on my pelvic floor there was so much force behind his body that my yoni just totally swole around his head just like in an instant like it felt like you know like a tuba player like blowing up a balloon like you'd like so easy right you know for it's like my tissues felt like nothing they were just and then I was just like you know and I'm trying to like <laughs> acknowledge what's happening because it's happening so fast and then my birth worker brain kicked on for like a pathetic few seconds where I'm like slow this down because <laughs> That's a lot of stretching for these tissues really fast. And I literally let out like the the most pathetic, like four little pants, like, and then his whole head was out. There was, it didn't do anything. Like my body was just nonstop training. I remember saying out loud, like baby's coming. Cause I don't even think, even though Keon was right next to me, I don't think he really realized that there was like a head right there and that it was out. And then, and then that kind of, cued Maida and she didn't actually come into the room because I hadn't invited her and I just had said out loud baby's coming and then um yeah a few seconds later his entire body shot out between my legs onto the mat in front of me and this is another really I think important part of my story that I want people to hear too um is that if I had been with any other care provider even even you know, someone who had some medical training, but thought that they were, you know, really of service to to women birthing at home in their own autonomy. I think that it absolutely would have been pathologized that my son was completely, he had no tone. Like he was just like a floppy little baby. Right. So he, he shoots out and he's face up, but his little legs kind of crossed over one another. So at that point I didn't even realize or care (laughs) if he was a boy or a girl. And I 
I remember just like reaching for him. And even though I was kind of like dazed and shocked by what had just happened, I was just, I did have this moment. I'm going to cry that like, I was like, my hands are the first hands touching my baby. And I was very aware of that. And that felt so good because that's what I had wanted, you know, for my first night. That wasn't at all what happened. Um, so even though, you know, he's this little floppy guy, I was just like, he's mine and I'm discovering him. And, um, and yeah, so he, he wasn't breathing at all and he was, and he was floppy. And then I, I just kind of quietly said Maida's name and I wasn't freaking out at all. And, um, you know, I had listened to Sister Morningstar's and your episode about newborn first breaths. And so I had Maida and we had kind of talked through it. And she had told me that she had had a client who, um, whose baby took about 10 minutes to transition and just, you know, it was not, it was not a scary thing for her. So she came in and just really quietly sat her back against the, cabinets on the floor of my bathroom and I just started talking to to the baby and he we didn't have a name picked out for him I didn't know if he was a boy or girl anything at that point but I just started kissing him and talking to him and um I remember he like opened one little eye like uh, like one of those like creepy dolls you know and then just kind of shut it not say he wasn't creepy at all but just the way his eye opened and then kind of shut you know, he had a crazy wild ride getting shot out into the world like that. So, um, you know, and I just kept saying like, hi, you know, how, like you're here, we love you, you know, it's time to come into your body. And I was rubbing him and kissing him and holding him. And, um, and Kian kind of moved, he sat on the toilet right next to me, um, cause he had been behind me. And, I didn't know it at the time because he's just so like stoic and quiet, but he was, he was a little freaked out internally. But as I kept, you know, talking to him, um, he kind of like, he was like, Oh, I get it now. And he kind of got on board and then he put his face right next to my face. And we both just started kissing the baby and, you know, saying like, it's time to come into your body and we love you. And, um, and it was a really long time. Like he would take little sips of air and then just kind of stop. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't have had any idea of exactly how long it was, except that Maeda told me later, like I found out like maybe like a week later, exactly how long it was. And it was 18 minutes for him to fully kind of come into his body and be breathing. But also he was connected to your placenta and getting sips. Yes. You know, so like the transition, okay, took 20 minutes, but he wasn't without oxygen. Correct. Yeah. And and, distinction. And I, I knew that and yeah, and he was okay. And at one point, you know, after we'd been at this for like a while, like I could hear he just had like stuff in his face. So I just really gently kind of sucked and spit out some gunk that was in his nose. And and he he didn't like it. Like he made this like little like grimace, like, ugh, you know, like why did you do that? And at that moment, I was just like, I'm annoying him. And that's so sweet. Like it really like touched my mama heart. I was just like, and I told him, I was like, I'm sorry, baby. I was like, I didn't mean to like bother you. But like when he made that little like, Ugh, like don't do that to me kind of face, I was like, 
it it just I knew that he was going to be totally fine, you know, and I apologized to him and just kind of kept calling him in. And um, it was just really sweet where I could just tell that I was just annoying him and that he didn't actually really maybe even need that at all. You're like, I'm just trying to help. I don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah. And I was just also so grateful that I wasn't anywhere other than that situation because Mm -hmm. yeah, like he could have easily been taken and, you know, it would have, it would have dramatically changed how I felt about my birth, you know? Well, you wouldn't, if you had been with like medical providers, you wouldn't have even gotten to that part because your waters opened with no significant labor with meconium. Like you would have had yeah. a C-section yeah. so early in your story, even with yeah. meds, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then even to get to this point, which you wouldn't have even gotten to this point with other. Yeah. Women. I guess I was only thinking like if I had had like a midwife or a midwife at home who thought that she was in support of free birth, but then saw this particular scenario unfold. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, even in that scenario, like I, it could have gotten sabotaged. Well, so, yeah, even, even a well-meaning doula sabotages births all the time. Like yes. I interview and debrief mm-hmm. women all the time who have all sorts of people at their births that are outside the system technically, but everyone there has been so conditioned by the system that they're all terrified of what's happening and they will still Mm -hmm. sabotage the birth for sure. Um, Yes, of course. But a limp, you know, toneless baby connected in an undisturbed, normal physiological birth and dark room surrounded only by your family, you know, with the mother who's totally in her body and in the room speaking to the baby. Like I would actually say that that is totally normal mm-hmm. like how you've described it and and both my babies were born very similarly mm-hmm. um and it's so different when it's in this context where they're still connected yeah literally they're getting their blood transfusion the mother is who's waking them up and i think it only feels crazy because of our conditioning because mm-hmm. when you watch like animal videos you know, or oh, see yeah, they do that shit too. They're yeah. like, oh, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Yeah, and thank God, yes, thank God that you were so well supported and that no one interrupted your halo and that he got the exact full range of time that he needed to yeah. fully arrive. Because there is that spiritual component. I think about a lot of how how much our culture interrupts the claiming of life. Yeah. And there's something so potent about a baby being born and choosing it, like choosing mm-hmm. to claim its life in every way. And I think people might confuse that with like, oh, do we not help them? It's like, well, of course, if the mother instinctually wants to do something, of course, the mother yeah. should do whatever they feel like they want to do, whether it's even helpful or not. Like, mm-hmm. if you feel it, do it. It is interesting to kind of investigate the layers of the suctioning piece because there's still this like, like we need to do something. There's still this like wanting Mm -hmm. to help piece that's really, it's not wrong or bad. It's just interesting to see how like deep that stuff runs in us. You know, I mean, I waited a really long time before I did that, (laughs) but (laughs) 
but yes, but yes, it was so. So tell me about when you um, saw that he was a boy. Oh yeah, we realized we realized he was a boy because as he was like really coming into his body and then he like really started breathing I was just looking at his face looking at his face and then all of a sudden I like feel something like hit my shoulder wet and I like look at Keon and I'm like what's happening and we realize like he's peeing on both of us like <laughs> and we looked at him, we're like oh my god it was like we have a cute. boy so yeah so he peed on us and that's when we realized that he was a he and um yeah and then the placenta came really easily so, you know, we sat, we sat there for uh, like a little bit and then Maida um, kind of asked me, she's like, are you, she's like, we should probably maybe start thinking about the placenta. What do you think? And I was like, yeah, that sounds like good to get that out. And so she, she gets a bowl, sets it in front of me, turns around to get something else. Meanwhile, I like just put my leg, one leg up over the bowl and just give just like a tiny little push and it came right out and she turned, right. she turned back around. I think she was like getting a towel or something. And she's like, wait, what, huh? What it's out. And I'm like, yep. And she's like, well, okay. She's like birth complete, <laughs> like birth complete. And then like, they helped me like get all like wiped all the blood off me and just kind of helped me walk to bed and just kind of checked in if I felt dizzy. And I was like, I feel great. I was like, I'm good. You know, it felt great to get in bed with my baby. And, um, yeah, it felt great to have the placenta out. It felt good to just, you know, be complete, to be on the other side of it and to have this, yeah, beautiful boy and climb in bed with my man. And, um, yeah, and after a little while, we called my mom and we just said, if he, he's, meaning Nisio, if he is willing to wake up and he wants to come, like, he's welcome. And, again, it was, like, three-minute drive over, so super easy. And he came and he met the baby um, and we, um, we decided to name him Roshi, which means like master or enlightened teacher in Japanese. And it just felt very fitting to me because I felt like he taught me so much throughout that birth. And it was one of the names that we had kind of set aside, but we didn't know. We didn't know until we met him what, what his name was going to be. So, yeah. My little Roshi was with us and, and postpartum was oh, so much better than the first time. You yeah. Know, not, yeah. I just had so much great care. And like I said, Keon was off work for, for 12 weeks and he was just so absolutely present and of service, you know, like, I mean, I never had, my water never ran out. I never didn't have snacks or food next to me. And then, you know, watching him like really take the lead on fathering Nisio, like getting him up, getting him ready for school, cooking him every meal, taking him. He was, he was still in school at that time, taking him to school, picking him up. And it was almost like, like I kind of became like a second thought to Nisio. Like, <laughs> there was no, like I was like, there was like a couple moments where I was like, Hey dude, like, can I, can Which you acknowledge I me over here? <laughs> natural spinning of the wheel. Yeah. In a functional family, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So he, he had so much love and attention from him. And I feel like their bond, like, really solidified mm -hmm. during that time. And, yeah. And then I just got to really heal and, um, yeah, be with the little one. Anything else you want to add about postpartum? Anything that surprised you or that you particularly loved or that stood out? 
Um, I think that it, it would be good to just talk about um, the tear that I had and how it healed mm-hmm. um, just because, yeah, just because there's still, I feel like a lack of stories around what tearing and not having sutures can be like, you know? So of course, like having a baby <laughs> land on my pelvic floor and then be exited my body in less than a minute, like my body really did not have a whole lot of time so I had, um, yeah, I had a tear and, um, I, I really just healed it with, um, I kind of rotated between using seaweed and manuka honey. And then whenever I would use the restroom, um, rinsing with a peri bottle with comfrey tea and then drinking comfrey tea and just you know, eating a traditional diet and having a lot of bone broth soups and resting and keeping my legs closed. And I know all those things have been kind of said on the podcast again, but I was just like amazed at how well I healed, like how, just how completely I healed, how well I healed, how easy it was to transition back into intimacy when I felt ready. Like all of it was just easeful despite having, you know, a tear during birth. So I just, um, just, I couldn't have even imagined having someone come at me with a suturing needle after, you know, it's like, it's insane. And also, you know, it's like when, when I think about my birth and like all that purple pushing, like I was swollen. Like, how are you going to repair something that you can't even see that well? It doesn't repair it. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It hurts it and traumatizes it. It doesn't. It's a fucking lie. So I just, I think I just, it just stretched and is swollen and then shove a needle repeatedly through it. Yeah. It's just awful. When the big, when the big spoiler alert is it would have just healed on its own. Like that is some unethical. Yeah. 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 So I just, I wanted to speak to that because I was just, yeah, I just healed so well, so completely. I feel so great. Like just, yeah. So I just wanted, I want other women to know that that's, yeah, very, very possible. Um, And then besides that, you know, besides feeling just, you know, I just felt so integrated, so much more joyful, so much more, yeah, yeah, everything after that. And I still feel that like it has carried through um, into my life, into, you know, who, who I am now. And I'm so happy I got to rewrite this story and I hope it's helpful for some women out there. And um, just like, you know, like I said, the other stories that I listened to to prepare for my birth helped me so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's such a big deal. And I, again, I'm just like thinking on that, that so many women believe until they don't, that after these horrific and unnecessary surgeries that their only choice is to like roll the dice with the same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is insane. It's, and yeah. you just don't have to, you can just allow your baby to emerge. You can allow, you know, your baby to be born. And also, you know, I think also what's really underneath a lot of this is that people are afraid to take, responsibility people are afraid to own their choices yeah and women who tend to birth outside the system tend to also um own more of their choices like it doesn't happen in a vacuum it's not like this one thing you know like 
the the concept of practicing self-responsibility is very like alive in our community and the women that free birth for obvious reasons. But I guess what I want to say is that, um, you know, for anyone listening kind of on the verge, like do whatever you want, of course, because only you are going to live with, with the result of your choices and your doctor doesn't live with it. They go home and clock out and totally forget about you. You know, your midwife doesn't live with your choices like you do and you and your baby do. And like Sparrow said earlier, the stakes are so freaking high. You better ask yourself what is the, what is the best way that you can birth and then do everything you can to align yourself with that because the stakes are so high and, and we can, um, what am I trying to say here? That there is actually no such thing as getting out of taking responsibility because only you make the choices for your life. So this idea of like passing the buck and like, if something happens, you know, this is all very unconscious for most people, but like, at least the doctor will be there to basically take the blame, you know, and, and that's a big thing to investigate. And that's a lot of what we talk about in the RBK school and, and everywhere else that, that I teach and that Yo teaches, because if you are, if you aren't willing to take responsibility for your choices, you also can't have what you want. Yeah. Is really what I'm getting at. And like your willingness to go into your darkness, do your work, face the reality of, of what has, you know, resulted in, in painful results is actually what put you on the path to get willing to have something different, right? Like your willingness to do the work, which means facing yourself and owning your choices can lead to, to exactly what you described, which is just the best. I love the image of, of, of Keon getting Nisio ready for school and you just in bed with this baby and just like, what a, I mean, especially cause I love you as my friend, but just what, <laughs> a, what a family healing experience. I'm just so glad that you get to know that. And of course you do. And I'm really proud of you and the choices that you've been willing to make to have this. This didn't just like happen. You know, you called me you've said yes to it, which is why it's here. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for being such a wonderful friend and witnessing me through all of these iterations of this story and to see me where I am now. So I love you. Love you too. Thank you so much (laughs) for sharing your story here. Thank you so much for having me. hope you enjoyed the show today. You can support this podcast by donating to it on freebirthsociety.com and leaving an awesome review on whatever platform you listen on. The more reviews, the more visibility the show gets. So let's spread the word of sovereign birth. We've always got a lot going on at Free Birth Society, and you can find out about all of it at freebirthsociety.com, at freebirthsociety on Instagram, and opt in to my newsletter below in the show notes. We offer courses on free birth, authentic midwifery, and the blood mysteries, as well as one-on-one coaching, in-person retreats, and of course, our annual women's festival. Our exclusive vetted private membership is definitely something to check out if you're looking for a community of wise sisters. Together we rise. We must speak our stories, claim our lives, and support one another. This is the living revolution, and I am so grateful to be in it with all of you. 
I'll leave you with our epic Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her 